Welcome to the Aging Project Off Season. I'm Shelley Craft, your host and fellow ager on the same journey as you. I believe it's important to mix things up in life, and that belief extends to this podcast. So, in our very first off season, expect to hear stories from wonderful people who've caught our attention. We want to share real stories that inspire us and get us thinking about our own aging well journey. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Aging Project community. We're thrilled you have joined us once again. Today we are talking to Sarah Jane Clark or SJC. Sarah Jane's life represents, I guess, what's on many people's vision boards, their bucket list, success, beautiful homes, a glamorous life, an incredible wardrobe, lots of travel and a gorgeous family. But today we want to talk to Sarah Jane about life, real life. We want to know what her Sassenbad journey has taught her about life and, of course, what matters most to her today. So would you please welcome the one and only Sarah Jane Clark. <laughs> Hi, Shelley. It's been a while, sister, but it's lovely to see you in the in the sort of in flesh, the virtual flesh. <laughs> the virtual flesh. It has been a while, but it's so nice to see your smiling face looking so well. Oh, yeah. Look, I am. I am very well because I am on my own wellness path these days, mm-hmm. which um, I don't know. Well, it has to have been an age thing because I really didn't think about it prior to mid-40s. It didn't occur to me that I was ageing at all. Um, I was just going to be eternally youthful. And then it was brought to my attention mm-hmm. by the gorgeous Amanda that, that we did have to start thinking about it. And all those sort of childhood dreams that perhaps it looks like we have fulfilled um, don't mean much if you don't have your health or your wellness. So here we all are, hey? Absolutely. We're all on the journey together. Yeah, it is. And I guess that definition of happiness has has changed over time too. But a little bit of history, of course, uh, Sassenbide kicked off two beautiful friends from Brizzy with a pair of jeans and a dream. Um, you took off overseas and, of course, what happened then was a, a lot of hard work but, of course, an explosion, um, what turned into Sassenbide, a global brand with a phenomenal reputation. Um, it took you all over the world, you know. We've we've got so many wonderful stories about Sassenbide but it's probably the last 10 years, I guess, that we would really like to focus on today. But let's go right back to the very, very beginning. Sarah Jane Clark. As a girl, what were you like? Were you determined? Was fashion something that you always loved? My mum always said that I had a very clear idea what I wanted to wear. She couldn't dress me. I always knew what I wanted to look like. And from an early age, I always wanted to be a a window dresser when I was little. Mm -hmm. So I guess I did always like styling and putting clothes together and the way fashion can make you feel so good about yourself. Mm -hmm. There is a big difference though from just dressing well to having a global brand. Where did the business sense come from? If you always loved fashion, did you always have a business mind as well? Well, I actually studied at QT in Brisbane, I studied a Bachelor of Business and I majored in accountancy because at that time I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just picked the best subject uh, from school, which happened to be sort of accountancy, maths type of area. So um, I guess having that business background and then meeting my Um, business partner to be Heidi, we melded both our um, strengths together and we formed Sassenbite. 
I, I imagine there were some huge highs. Um, there would have been some quite low lows too, I think, just that that plugging through of the business. And I remember very early on um, in my interest in fashion and, and television, uh, Sass and Bide was one of those brands that all of us wanted to wear and get our hands on. And I remember coming to your office um, and have, being able to look through, you know, your lookbooks and um, your collections and oh, things. Yes. And that was such a thrill for, for me to do. Um, but I know that there was a, a damn lot of work and many, many, many trying hours that went into that business. What were the biggest highs of Sass and Bide for you? Oh, look, I think um, in any business, I, I remember, you know, you have these um, milestones that you want to hit and, and Heidi and I always used to talk about, you know, won't it be amazing when we hit um, a million dollars in sales and then won't it be amazing when we do our first international show and have our first international stockists and then wouldn't it be amazing when we open our fl- first ever flagship so we always had those little milestones in our head and and it was thrilling and amazing to be able to achieve all those things but as you said it it is it was fast it was furious um you know it was very stressful Mm. it was a lot of hard work and you know I guess was it the happiest period of my life probably not because I sort of lost myself in in all the madness. So, you know, you just didn't have time to actually stop and think, how am I feeling today? And, you know, address that because you're just running on adrenaline. And we ran on adrenaline for about 15, 16 years. <laughs> so we sold the business after, um, yeah, I think it was in 2014. So, yes, it, it's um, a lot of hard work, but gosh, it was so much fun. I'm not you know, saying poor me because we, I have so much to thank that business for in that time, mm. at that time in my life. It was, it was an incredible ride. And it is that adrenaline rush that, that is the only thing really at that point that keeps you going, isn't it? Uh, yes. I mean, it's the adrenaline, there is just no time to stop because you just have to keep keep going and so many people are relying on you and you're managing so many people in the business and you're almost I felt probably towards the end I almost became a bit of a puppet um because I'd be walking in the office and people say how are you I'm like oh I'm fantastic how are you mm-hmm. and you know you always have to be that upbeat um leader mm-hmm. and you know and that also takes its toll after a little time. That's it. And as the leader, I guess, as you say, you couldn't really be any other way because if you were having a bad day, then imagine what the poor lady at the front counter was thinking or one of the young girls working in the store. If, if Sarah Jane doesn't have it all, then what on earth are we doing mm-hmm. here? So that, that is a big weight to bear. Yeah, it is. And I think um, you you have to sort of play that game a little bit with your kids because you want to be the leader and you want to make sure that um, they're happy and that, you know, you definitely put them first. And as as we did during that time of our lives, we definitely put our business first before our health. Mm But you also had a family at that point, a beautiful partner, three gorgeous sons. How, I mean, is there such a thing as balance in that regard? I mean, the business demanded 
all of your attention. And yet mm. I imagine, and I know, having, having kids demands all of your attention. And we say when we have, you know, numerous children that your heart just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But when you've got a business as well, how much can one person actually take? Well, yes, it's a good question, Shelley. And I think, um, you know, I think reflecting back, I could have done so many more things to help myself mentally and physically. But I just, you know, I, I was young, I was what, 23. I was really in my 20s during that wild time. So um, I just wasn't tapped into all the, all the wellness things available to mm. us now. So yes, I, you know, I should have been doing yin yoga. I should have probably been meditating. I should have prioritized my, you know, exercise. I should have done a lot of things. But at that age, you, you can sort of afford to steal a little bit of adrenaline from your body. And then, you know, you, you can give it back once you hit this late 40s, you can start replenishing it all. They say the quote, unhappy is he who depends on success to be happy. Yes. Do you find any meaning in that? Well, it's interesting because I think um, we often think happiness is success or is um, the both run together. But I think um, it depends on how you measure success and how you measure happiness. I think, um, as I sort of said before, was that we during that time of running Sass and Bard, it was hugely successful. Was I at my most happy? Probably no. But now, you know, I can say now that I'm definitely in a really happy place because, you know, my life is much calmer, it's more peaceful. Um, I prioritise making sure that my family are all well and stable and, you know, connected and, um yeah, I, I think happiness equaling success, success equaling happiness is not always the case. Did the the end of Sass and Bide for you and Bide come along at a time when you were ready for it or was it a bit of a surprise that, you know, you were ready to sell um, and the opportunity was there or was it a bit of a shock, oh, my goodness, okay, we're ready to jump off now or how did that sort of feel when did you, I guess, did you know it was time to go when the time was there or was that a real adjustment of mindset? Uh, look, I think Heidi and I had been talking about um, exiting the business for some time. It wasn't just something we woke up with and said, you know what, let, let's sell it, today's the day. So it was something that we were, we had decided, okay, in, in three years, let's, I think we'll be ready then so um we decided as a business to start you know growing the business in order to sell it um so the that was strategically done back of house and then um you know it was time because we also had three young well I had three young kids Heidi had two young kids and we just needed to um we just felt like it was just the right time in the fashion cycle because, you know, mm. you, there's always cycles. You have good years and then you end up going, um, having a few softer years. So, And we just didn't have the energy at that time to drag it back through the bottom of the cycle. So we thought, you know what, while we're booming, while the business is going really well, this is the time to sell it. 
But, you know, that being said, we were definitely sort of the bell of the ball and but at the same time, I guess nothing lasts forever. And it was a beautiful moment in time and something that Heidi and I cherish greatly. And, um, you know, we made a lot of people happy. Women still talk to me about the pieces that they have from Sass and Bite. Absolutely. Got, well, I've got a few key pieces in my wardrobe. <laughs> I wonder whether there'll be a, a Sass and Bide vintage range. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, I think there's a big marketplace for Sass and Bide Vintage, so yes. Facebook well, marketplace. It's, it's never been the same. We'll all be honest and say that straight to oh. your face. It's never been the same since you ladies left. But, Thank um, you. Was there, was there a fair amount of burnout um, at that time afterwards? Look, I did miss Sass and Bide probably for about three years. I kept checking weekly on the website. I would just get quite upset if they were putting out a colour that I didn't like and I was like, should I call them and say, no, no, we don't do those colours. But then there comes a time where you just have to let it go. You know, it's no longer in our control. And um, it was, you know, then I thought, you know, I have to let that go and then that way I can also focus on myself. And I definitely... Um, for the next sort of three to four years after leaving Sassambada, I really fo- started my health journey because that's mm. when I started. Well, that's actually the first time I really stopped and said, how am I feeling? And then I realised that I was so exhausted. I wasn't, you know, eating well. I Well, I could be eating better. Um, I self-diagnose as we do um, myself with adrenal fatigue and then when I started going um, down you know the internet with all of that then I realized that I really just had to rest and just Mm. calm my whole nervous system down. Just a quick YMTI break in today's show. Ladies have you visited youmusttryit.com yet? If not why not? We have designed this store for us. We've done the research to support your aging well journey from low-tox makeup, skincare, perfume, supplements, and much, much more. Oh, and we have some lovely gift packs ready to go too for you and your loved ones just in time for Christmas. After listening to today's episode, go and check us out, youmusttryit.com. All right, now it's back to the show. SJ, you've been really open and honest about your journey and your relationship with alcohol, um, particularly on your own Instagram. Yes. How, I mean, we all know high-pressure jobs, um, people either do, I guess, self-medicate with alcohol, with drugs, things that can just help them cope at that time and, as you say, just keep that pace going, balancing the business and the family. Can you describe to us what your relationship with alcohol was like? I mean, you, you sort of have spoken, as I said, openly and honestly about it. Can you share a little bit with us about that, um, the relationship you had? Sure. Well, I think we should probably go back to Brizzy, um, Brisbane. Growing up in Brisbane in the 90s, there was a real binge drinking culture um you know there was you'd go out any Friday night and there was two for ones and it was just about how smashed you could get on a Friday night probably not for everyone but those who like to drink it was definitely quite easy to get your hands on alcohol and I you know I I liked 
I sort of quite liked the feeling about what alcohol, um, how it affected me, it, you know, as I said, a glass of personality. So it for me it let it really um, helped my inhibitions leave and so all of a sudden I became more confident, I could talk to people, I was, you know, I, I felt like I had a much better personality when I was drinking. Um, much to the horror to the that way. <laughs> much to the horror of the people around me who had to deal with me. But um, but you were so much fun, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, you know. Like when you get told, "Oh, you were so much fun," and and there is a point where yes, you you can be fun, but it's it's that hits a point also, and then you just become annoying, and um, so. Look, in my days of Sassambar, I definitely used alcohol to um, as a stress relief um, mm-hmm. and it also just helped me calm down. So I would use it from when leaving work and then having to go and be a mum. It was just like mummy's juice just to calm everything down and help me slide from businesswoman into the mother into mm-hmm. that into that mother role um so look I, I it wasn't like I was drinking every night um I wasn't one of those people I was more like come Friday night or Saturday night I just had no off switch so I would you know I'd start with one and I only ever wanted to have like two or three but then all of a sudden 10 drinks down the track and I'm like how did that happen and mm-hmm. So I just knew that I drank differently f- from everybody else. Well, not everyone else, but a lot of other people who didn't seem to have that those issues. They could just again in your twenties. It can just be seen as you know, yeah, the party and the fun times and the upper, I guess. And yeah. as you say, some as we get older, it does um, become mummy's little helper and that little afternoon nip to take the edge of or the glass of wine at dinner um and as you say I think as you you know rightly point out that binge drinking culture um even at a dinner party now as an adult and if you're not drinking it's seen as a little bit strange or oh what mm-hmm. are you doing or what's what's wrong with you mm. um when when did you realize that alcohol was no longer really serving its purpose for you well I think it really started it was just these little voices in my head that just started getting louder and louder and louder and probably um, definitely sort of towards the end of my 20s, they, you know, I realised just waking up feeling so dreadful that this really could not be good for my body or my mind. So, um, and, you know, missing events, missing um, meetings, missing you know being unreliable all of those things that happens when you you drink too much and you just can't seem to get yourself out of bed and I'd lie in bed just wishing the day away and I was like okay this is just everything about this is wrong that I am Mm. not um that I'm feeling this way and that I'm not celebrating this wonderful life that I was given so that was the real stuff you know that's when it really started to play on my mind but it didn't it wasn't like one morning I woke up and I said right that's it I'm not going to drink for a year it was it did take then probably um five six years before I actually made that 
core to say, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up. I, I'm going to not drink for one year. And that's when mm-hmm. that one year um, alcohol free started, ban the binge. Wow. So it, it's a process and it's a journey. So it was really six years for you where that process, it took its time and it, and it, it had to really take seed in your mind that perhaps I can live without this. I know. Well, look, I guess that's a bit of a slow learner, but I think it's a gradual thing that starts building up. And because I was mm. still going to lots of events um, with Sass and Bide and I used alcohol to, to actually make it through the events and the media meetings and things that I had to do because I was quite a, I, I was, I really had a little bit of social anxiety and I, I wasn't great in crowds. So I felt like if I had just a drink, that would just calm my nerves and it would help me just, um, you know, get the conversation flowing. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I gave all my power to alcohol, but now having um, done that year off alcohol, I know that everything I need is inside me. Um, and I don't, I, I now know that I'm very capable of going anywhere without drinking. And, um, you know, I, I guess you just have this nice sense of calmness that I don't care if people like me or not, you know, I, I'm, I don't need to impress anybody anymore. And there certainly was, as you say, that pressure, not to be necessarily the life of the party, but the face of the brand. Also, oh. I think even we all go out and we have our own brand, whether you're, you know, the accountant, the mum, the wife, um, the girlfriend, the, you know, whatever, you go out with that game face on, I like to call it. Whenever I go out in public, I've got my Shelly face on, which is very different to yes. my Shelly face at home. Um, but that's what you think people need or want from you and it's very brave to go you know what you can take it or leave it I I definitely took that role on as the party person like I had to get out there I had to make sure that all my staff were having fun at the Christmas party after Mm -hmm. um you know after parties after New York Fashion Week I was the one there making sure that you know I was drinking with all the guests and this and that so I really it wasn't until actually my partner said to me Sarah Jane, you know, it's not your role to be that person or it doesn't have to be the role. Like you don't have to go out and party till 3 a.m. in the morning. Like just go say hi to everyone and leave at 11. I was like, oh, that's a really foreign am concept. I, but, am you I know, allowed to do that? <laughs> yes. Am I allowed to do that? And it was I was just unaware of that role I had assumed without mm. really knowing that I had it was it's a it was a funny thing. So I had to actually kill the party girl, which was quite exciting at the same time because I was just so tired and exhausted and and um, also at the same time hurting my body and mind so much through mm. drinking. So um, it was it just all sort of unraveled at the perfect time. Mm. So the liberation that came with ban the binge, uh, must have been a monumental moment for you. That year was transformative because all of a sudden I was living without alcohol in the system and it was just, it was so amazing the results from a physical aspect, like sleeping through the night 
um, no, you know, not waking up at three o'clock with anxiety or shame or like, oh my God, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Like all of a sudden my mind became so peaceful and calm. And then my relationships with my friends and my partner and my children just became so much more deeper and so much more real and connected. And I was so much, I was proud of myself, you know, and I felt so good because Mm. I was no longer letting myself down. Like I was sticking to my word and um, I felt like it was very, it was an empowering year. Did you say from the beginning, this is going to be a year or did you say this is going to be a week and I'll see how I go after that? Or was it really for you setting that line in the sand that I can do this? I've got the mental capacity to do this. 365 days, day one, here we go. Yes. Look, for me, I had to do a year because I had tried a week and a week was just and sometimes I'd do it and sometimes I wouldn't, but I just knew that I had to take a long break from it because mm. it was um, playing havoc with my life. And for me, one year was just this perfect amount of time because almost the longer it is, the better because you you don't sort of think about it on a daily basis. Like you don't, mm-hmm. you know, when it's a week every day, you're thinking, oh, I have three more days to go. But when it's a year... You might get to six months and think, okay, I'm halfway, I've got another six months. But you don't sort of break it down as much as you do when it's a shorter period. So a year, I don't know, really know why I chose a year. I just chose a year. And then during that year I just did so much research as to, you know, what alcohol does to our brain, what it does to our body, um, the effects that it has. So the more I started reading about alcohol and and the science behind it the more engaged I got with it and I actually really didn't want to drink in the end I was I was I had actually um come out the other side of of the drinking habit and I managed to really look at my triggers and what made me drink and why I wanted to drink and I just realized that as you said before it was just it's it was taking so much more from me than it was giving me what were some of those health benefits that you read about that really went, oh, okay, well, there there goes my next six months? <laughs> what were the ones that really stuck in your mind and you thought, I, I had no idea that was the case or I didn't want to acknowledge that that was the case? Um, were there some facts that really, really got to you, really hit deep? Well, I think the sleep was a big one because I am just, I just need eight to nine hours sleep to function really well and I protect my sleep now like, it's my number one thing. So um, the fact that, uh, you know, the when I started reading about how alcohol affects the sleep and, and the knock-on effects, because when you wake up tired, then you want to, you don't exercise, you don't eat well, and it just creates this sort of downward spiral cycle. So um, the sleep was a big one. Also just um, physically just the water retention that happens, like when I when I, during that year, people would say, wow, you look so well and healthy and glowy, like the skin from a complete vanity side of things, you just become so much, you really do glow and you lose all the water retention and you have a, you just, you, you have a special sort of magic that happens when you don't drink. And it's like, 
also you just appreciate the small things in life like you just appreciate you you wake up you're so much more attuned into the world we live in like you're you're not numbing yourself from from pain or 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 life so you just start really picking up on small things in life whether it's a beautiful you know flower in the garden or just even it's, it's such little minute things but um when you're not spending all day in bed you just have so much more time to enjoy life and get get into it and it's the time like you the it's actually drinking takes up a lot of time because normally when you're drinking you start thinking about drinking around I don't know four or five o'clock if that's your your time so that's sort of an hour thinking what am I going to drink and then you're drinking for an hour or two and then um and then if you overdo it then you sort of drink all night and then you waste the whole next day with a hangover. So um, the amount of time that you get back from not drinking too much is is really quite addictive. It's kind of, ah, the sun. It's, ah, the sun. (laughs) Yes, you become so efficient as well. You fit so much more in a day. So this was the way for you to start your wellness journey and without putting an age on it. Um, yes. How long have you now been on your journey and what else has come about since this point? Look, I have always been quite into the wellness side of things. I guess when I left Sassambide and then I did my year off, um, that really, year off alcohol, that really highlighted um how amazing one can feel when you take care of yourself and that sort of feels so good so then I just started to you know what I find is that you start going in one direction and then like you might go down the keto direction and then all of a sudden you read about something else that takes you down to how to nourish your kidney to then so it for me the journey has been I sort of gathered information from all sorts of places. And then what I've learned now after probably 15, 20 years of reading so much is that you've just got to do what feels right for you. Like there's so much contradicting information out there as well. So, you know, if you want to start your day with a celery juice and that makes you feel great, then you should continue that. But if if celery juice makes you feel sick, then obviously it's not for you. So it's just really... No matter how good it is. No matter how good it is. So I think it's just, you know, doing your reading, just working out how your body is, doing blood tests, making sure that, you know, all your hormones are in check and that all your vitamins are at the right level. So you've got to look at it very holistically. It's not just food or it's not just taking vitamins in the morning or you know it's it's exercise it's sleeping it's it's everything you've lived a really really big life and again from the outside seems so exciting and glamorous but having spent so much time living and working overseas how do you think Aussies are going on the wellness health route are we way in front are we falling far behind Um, how do you think we sit as far as looking after ourselves on a world scale well I don't know the stats exactly to this, but if you go down to Bondi at five o'clock in the morning, I think we're doing pretty well. I mean, there are <laughs> just people swimming, running at that gym, pumping weights. 
I mean, it's pretty extraordinary and we live a healthier lifestyle than other countries around the world. And perhaps even, you know, the lockout laws and and the fact that we don't really have that many restaurants and bars and pubs open past 10 o'clock really helps us um, with this healthy way of living. You're on a whole new path now, aren't you? I mean, you've got your own uh, signature label. SJC Made for Travel, which is divine, as you know. Thank Um, you. How long did that come about or was that something that had been brewing towards the end of Sass and Bide or did you really give yourself a sabbatical, just time off without a pencil in your hand, without designs flying through your mind or was that something that had sort of been churning as you were maturing? Uh, Well, people uh, often say to me, what are you doing? doing going back into fashion I'm like I know can you believe that I've <laughs> got myself back into it but um really the brand um came about just melting my two loves and that's travel and style and I just thought I'm just gonna make some garments that are the perfect travel companions so because we all like to feel good when we're traveling and once again, very similar to how we started Sass and Bard, I wasn't finding the pieces that I wanted in the market. So I thought, I'm just going to make a few. And here I am, four, down, four years down the track with another fashion brand. But I think it's, it's very different to the Sass and Bard days and it has a, you know, as, as much, it's gentler, slower, I'm, I'm not doing it to prove anything to anyone. I'm just mm. I, my studio out is my studio is out of Watson's Bay, so it's just a very slower way. Um, mm. But um, yeah, and I'm loving it. You know, it's 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 a lovely creative outlet, and it's wonderful to meet the clients. They come in on Thursday and they chat, and they you know it's it's wonderful to see people feeling good about themselves. Can you talk to us a little bit about slow fashion and how we can all do better and be better when it comes to our wardrobe choices, not just for what we love to wear but for the environment, for the planet? Mm. Well, look, slow fashion, I think it's just being thoughtful about your purchases. If you're going to buy a brand knowing what they stand for and where they're making and, you know, are they just dropping a 1,000 pieces a week or are they a little bit more considered in their their cycle? I think it's really important to resell the pieces that you're not wearing and put them back out into the world for other people to enjoy. I think that's really a forward way of of recycling and making sure that you can you know you're selling the pieces that you're not wearing anymore so then that money you can buy your new piece and I think less is more these days you know buying Mm. buying good quality pieces over junky pieces buying natural fabrics over synthetics um, buying pieces that break down you know once they do end up at landfill which unfortunately many do making sure that they do break down rather than just, you know, staying in this world forever. So I it's just I think it's just educating yourself on your choices. Is it hard mm. to find your personal style though? Have you got some tips for that? And again, probably like by 40, you 
probably have a fair idea of, of what you like and what you're into, but are there any sort of keys on knowing what works best for you or, or what's going to make you feel good every time you get dressed? Yeah, I think by the time you hit 40, you pretty much, you know, you, you really do have a very good idea on what you feel good in, what looks good on you, and I think you've just got to stick with the formula. Like don't try to or the sun grabber trend of cutouts around the t- tummy if you know that your tummy is not your best area. And so I just think it's about um, knowing the colours that work for you, knowing the shapes that work for you and just sticking with it. We're normally mostly in flats. Once we've hit 40, right, over 40, we do like yes. flats. What happened there? It's about <laughs> comfort. <laughs> Like yes. just, but I used to think that five-inch heels were actually comfortable. You call me crazy. I don't know. I know. I think we just have no time not to be comfortable anymore. It's like why would I wear heels when I can wear flat and feel so good? So, yeah, I just think um, wearing what makes you feel good, that that's the important thing. Good, good lesson. Hey, what makes you happy now, Sarah-Jane? Well, my happiness I think my happiness now comes from connections with people, especially my family, my partner, my children, spending quality time with them. It's really important for me now. Um, Happiness also comes from when I'm feeling good about myself, when I know that, you know, I'm eating well, um, I'm taking care of myself, I'm exercising sleeping well, I do wake up with that little extra piece of joy in my life and that's that's wonderful. And I think it's also just doing what makes you feel good, a bit like what we were talking about, where what, you, what makes you feel good. It's also about just saying no to things that you don't want to do or things or, you know, don't surround yourself with people who, have a toxic way about them, like just spend spend your time with people you love that make you feel good about yourself. I think that's sort of the key now. You, you really, um, I, I know that I've got so much better with just saying, no, do you want to come out to dinner tonight? No, because I just know that I need my eight hours go. sleep. <laughs> I don't, don't want to go. I, just, I prefer to sleep. I don't want to go. <laughs> but I no. will... <laughs> I will meet you for coffee in the morning if you want. So I'm 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 a big morning coffee walk or lunch person, but to get me out to dinner these days really hard. <laughs> I feel your pain. No, I'm I'm also getting very good at saying no, and now I've got to find a way to do that politely so that I don't actually offend anyone. No, because. I will, as you say, meet you for coffee in the morning or we'll go for a walk instead or come around for lunch. But yeah. night times are a no-go for me. <laughs> you have to just prioritise what makes you feel good and mm. and guard it with all your life, you know. It's like when you're you- giving, giving up alcohol, I had to actually guard for that whole year. It was my number one soul purpose and and reason I just if anyone tried to take me off the path I'd say no I can't go to the party I don't feel strong enough tonight or you know I'm not going out to dinner because that's a trigger for me I'll drink so you just have to really guard 
the important things in life. Like you just, yeah, and, and be proud of that. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It has been a joy chatting to you, lovely catching up with you, and without being condescending, really damn proud of what you have achieved in your life to date and, and can't wait to see what the next 10, 20, 30 years brings for you and your family. Firstly, I want to say thank you to Sarah Jane. Thank you for your openness and for being so vulnerable with us. I know very few women of your profile happy to share so openly for the benefit of others. Today's conversation started with us thinking about our vision boards and asking if success equals happiness. And I know we've learned that it doesn't. Logically, we know it, but it can be so easy to forget and spend time wishing for more stuff, more clothes, more travel, a bigger house, the list goes on. Perhaps our vision boards are better filled with things that Sarah Jane Clark talked about, like being proud of yourself, taking care of yourself, building connections with loved ones, doing the exercise, eating right, saying no, prioritising what makes you feel good and doing something that you love at a slower pace. Sarah Jane, sharing your story has us thinking and talking about our relationship with alcohol, which matters for ageing well. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Please share it with your loved ones. It helps to share our ageing well message. Before I go, I have to say, ah, I am loving the off-season. It's very special for us to be able to share people's stories. It's good for the soul. And it also makes you realise that everyone has a story. Everyone has a challenge. And no one has, in inverted commas, the perfect life. Whatever that is, it doesn't exist. I'm Shelley Craft, your host and guide here at The Ageing Project. And I'll talk to you next week.